Good. Well, it's great to welcome you to church, especially if this is one of your first visits to this place. And we do hope that you'll, you'll really enjoy being here, um, especially this Easter time. Today, as we've already heard, marks the start of Holy Week. And Holy Week uh, is probably the most important week in the church calendar. It begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we now call Palm Sunday today, and it ends with his crucifixion, Good Friday. In our increasingly secular society, where many people have little understanding of the significance of Easter, it's important that we rehearse the Easter story, the good news story of Jesus' death and resurrection, because many, many people simply do not understand what this uh, Easter story is all about. And so it's important that we retell it, that we talk about it, that we talk about uh, the Easter weekend and the events that lead up to it. So I'd like you to imagine the scene. We've got this picture up uh, on the wall here, a picture of a, 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 a town, a, a street, absolutely crammed with people. And this is a typical uh, Palm Sunday parade. It's the build-up to the Jewish festival of Passover. And Passover uh, was an important celebration marking the liberation of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And hundreds of thousands of pilgrims were crowding the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, they are filling the streets. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, estimated that there were some two and a half million visitors who attended this feast. That is a huge number of people cramming into Jerusalem. And because the city is so packed, many people have to find accommodation outside. Jesus and his friends are staying in Bethany, in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And on this day they walk for two to three miles into Jerusalem, over the Mount of Olives and down into the city. Jesus is accompanied by his closest disciples. These are men who've spent the last three years with him. They've been listening to his teachings, they've been seeing his power to heal and deliver, and they have been authorised to do the same, to heal, to deliver, to speak out the good news of the kingdom. Jesus had told his disciples that he would be betrayed and killed and then raised back to life again. He'd already explained this to them, but they simply did not understand. And for some reason, they were afraid to ask him. It's as if they couldn't bear to hear this news of Jesus' impending death. They did not understand what was going on. In returning to the city, Jesus is showing amazing courage. The Jewish authorities have been threatening, indeed plotting, to kill him. And he knows that by returning to Jerusalem, he will be arrested and he'll be put to death. 
That's the context of this story. This Palm Sunday story is so significant that all four Gospel writers record it. It's also foretold, prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. And so when we read it this morning, I'm going to read a, a compilation of all these accounts. Um, if you want to follow it, or try to follow it, um, you might like to look at Luke's version, uh, which is Luke 19, verses 29 to 44. But before we listen to this story, I want to read out some words from John's Gospel. John concludes his account of the Palm Sunday parade with these words. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Do you see that? The disciples, the, the men who'd been with Jesus all this time, did not understand what was going on. And so you can imagine these followers of Jesus gathering together some weeks later, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, and saying, oh yes, of course, I get it now. Do you remember when Jesus said this, when he taught that, when he, he, he quoted that old prophecy? Now it all makes sense. And we too need understanding and revelation. We need our spiritual eyes opened. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. What a, an extraordinary promise that is. The Holy Spirit will give us revelation, will help us to understand, will reveal the truth to us. So before we read this story, I just want to pray. I want to pray that, that we, each one of us this morning, will have that revelation, that understanding. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came into this world to transform lives, to save us from our sins. Thank you for the integrity of Scripture. Thank you that there's that ring of truth about God's word, that which was prophesied hundreds of years before you uh, lived on this earth, that which was prophesied came to pass. And we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask that you will open our eyes, that you will reveal truth to us this morning. Amen. We start with John's account. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! 
As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John's account of the Palm Sunday story. Here's mine. Jesus and his close friends walk the three miles from Bethany, the home of Martha, Mary and Lazarus. At the halfway point, Jesus tells two of his disciples to walk into a nearby village where they'll find a donkey and its colt tied up. Bring them both to me, says Jesus, and if you get stopped, just say, the Lord needs them, and there'll be no problem. Now, uh, this corresponds exactly with an old prophecy in the scriptures recorded by Zechariah, one that good Jewish people would have been very familiar with. Quote, say to the daughter of Zion, look, your king is on his way gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, the two guys get to the village, and it all fits Jesus' description. They bring the donkeys back, use their cloaks for a saddle, and Jesus gets on. 
As he rides through the gates of Jerusalem, the crowds are spreading their cloaks in the road, they're laying palm leaves in his path, and they're shouting in celebration, Hosanna, save us now! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hooray for Jesus! Jesus arrives at Jerusalem and the whole city is buzzing. What's going on here, they ask? Who is this? It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, the crowds reply. The miracle worker, the one who brought Lazarus back to life, the Messiah. But not everyone is so excited. The Pharisees, uh, the religious leaders, are incensed at all this celebration. We've got to get rid of this Jesus, they say. Everyone's following him. Everyone's putting their faith in him. It's often been suggested that those who shouted Hosanna on Sunday were the same people who shouted crucify him on Friday. It's quite likely. Bob Hartman, whose um, stories we often use on Third Sundays, uh, he describes the questions that buzzed around in his head when he was a child. This is what he writes. Every Easter it was the same. On Palm Sunday we go to church and celebrate the fact that the crowds have clapped and cheered for Jesus and called him their king. Then only five days later we'd be sitting in the same place, all solemn-faced, remembering how that same crowd had clamoured for his death. What happened? What went wrong? Why did they want to kill Jesus? If we'd been there on that week, uh, I wonder how we would have behaved. If we'd been there in the crowd, I wonder what we would have thought of the man on the donkey. How we would have responded. At the end of Matthew's account, we read that the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And there are lots of clues in this story as to who people thought Jesus was. Some thought he was a prophet, some thought he was a miracle worker. Others thought he was a leader who would deliver the people from Roman occupation. Some must have thought, yes, this might be the promised Messiah, the King, the Saviour. Who is this Jesus? And how do we respond to him? In that Palm Sunday crowd, I've identified at least three distinct groups of people. Firstly, the palm-waving, cloak-spreading, cheering supporters who later clamoured for his death. Secondly, the loyal but confused disciples who didn't understand what was going on and later ran away broken-hearted. And thirdly, there are these angry Pharisees who couldn't wait to see Jesus executed. So, imagine yourself in that crowd. Ask yourself, which group would I have joined? Which lot do I relate to most? There's group number one. I've called them the Hosanna 
crucify him group. There must have been many people there who were celebrity chasers. You know, the popularity cult had been growing and growing. Jesus had performed some extraordinary miracles and just recently he had brought Lazarus back to life. And many people knew Lazarus. There was this man who'd been dead for two or three days and he's walking around. He's, he's as alive as you and me. And so they're excited that this prophet from Nazareth, this miracle worker, is in town. They have high hopes that he will transform society, that he will rescue them from Roman oppression. And so they shout, Hosanna, save us now. That's on Sunday. Less than a week later, they're shouting, crucify him. The Hosanna, crucify him group. That group certainly claimed my allegiance as a young man. It's that ability to go with the crowd. Yeah, I was really good at going with the crowd. I had a Christian faith, but Jesus was saviour only, not lord of my life. You know you're in that part of the crowd when your Christian faith is very neatly compartmentalised. Singing God's praises and shouting Hosanna on Sunday but failing to stand up for Christ and to walk in God's ways on every other day of the week. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. It's impossible to be neutral about Jesus. Group number two. I've called them the I'm a disciple, get me out of here group. <laughs> A disciple is a follower of Jesus. As we've already said, these guys did not understand that Jesus had come to live and die and then be raised back to life again. They did not realise that Jesus had come to demonstrate the love of the Father for everyone. And they needed revelation. Perhaps some of us can identify with them. We call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus. We've started out on that faith journey, even started well. We've been loyal, we've been sincere, but then got a bit stuck. Maybe we don't fully know the love of the Father. Or maybe we're reluctant to welcome the Holy Spirit who can transform us from the inside out, who promises to reveal Jesus to us. Jesus promises his followers life in all its fullness. What an offer, life in all its fullness. If we're discontented or apathetic, or maybe we don't know the freedom that comes as our sins are forgiven, then we need to turn back to Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What love he's shown to you and to me. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus loves us and he calls us his friends. 
you want to know the love of Jesus, if you want to know that you are his friend, if you want to be a friend of Jesus, then now is the time to turn back to him and to know just how much he loves us. And then there's group three. I've called these people the angry and self-righteous brigade, also known as the Pharisees. The moment I major on religion rather than relationship, on legalism rather than grace, I join that part of the crowd. Very good at spotting the speck of sawdust in the eyes of others, but totally unaware of the plank in my own eye. Guilty of the so-called hyphenated sins, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-centeredness, selfishness. All about me, myself, my needs, I. The angry and self-righteous brigade had no time for Jesus, no time for the saviour of the world, no time for the servant king. So what a crowd greets Jesus on Palm Sunday. Again, let's ask ourselves, which group would I have joined? Can I relate to any of these characterisations? The good news is, we don't have to stay like that. Any genuine encounter with Jesus will result in a changed life. Let me say that again. Any genuine encounter with Jesus will result in a changed life. He is the God who changes lives. He is the God who transforms us. And I believe the key to transformation is found in that description of Jesus in the prophecy of Zechariah, quoted in the Gospels of Matthew and John. Here is the divinely inspired, God-breathed description of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus our King, which had been written 500 years earlier. Zechariah prophesies, your King comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Who is this Jesus? That was the question asked by people as, the, as Jesus entered Jerusalem. And it's the question we're asking today. And I believe we have answers in those descriptions, those descriptive words of the King who comes to us. And I want us to look at them. And as we do so, let's ask the Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our lives, to do a life-changing work. First of all, righteous. Jesus is the righteous one. Your king comes to you righteous. The coming Messiah was described as the righteous one. Another prophet, Malachi, penned this poetic description of Jesus. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. What does the word righteous mean? I believe it's being in right relationship with God. Righteousness is living life God's way. 
As we put our faith in Jesus, we receive God's righteousness. We enter a new relationship with God thanks to all that Jesus has done by his death on the cross. Forgiving us, cleansing us, remaking our lives. Righteousness is gained by faith. It's not something that we achieve by our own efforts. It's available to everyone who will receive it freely from God through Christ. That's what God offers us, a new, true, right relationship with himself through Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Without his righteousness, we'll continue to waver, to shift allegiance, to shout Hosanna one day and crucify the next. With Jesus, the Righteous One, as Lord and Saviour and King, we enter into a new alignment with our Father God. The Holy Spirit enables us to live life God's way. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one. Your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. Zechariah was prophesying the coming of the king. He was prophesying the coming of the Messiah, the great deliverer. He is the one who will rescue his people from sin. And this salvation which the promised king carries is for all peoples, all nations of all time. Jesus the Saviour offers salvation. This is his free gift. This is the evidence of God's love for us that he gave his one and only Son who lived, who died, who was raised back to life again for our salvation. This is the Easter message. It's the salvation that we remember as we celebrate communion here together this morning. We remember that Jesus died once for all. For each one of us. We can't be separated from God's love, but we can fail to experience the fullness of the Father's love. We can't lose our salvation, but we can fail to receive all the benefits of that salvation. So let's not be like those disciples of Jesus who were slow to understand that Jesus had come as Saviour. Instead, let's allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to transform our lives from the inside out. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Those are the words that Jesus speaks uh, as Zacchaeus uh, has his life totally turned around. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Or as another version puts it, the Son of Man came to find and to restore the lost. If you're lost, 
If you feel a bit lost this morning, know this, Jesus is here to find you, to restore you, to totally remake and restore your life. He comes having salvation. And then thirdly, we have the word gentle. He comes gentle and riding on a donkey. This is not your archetypal king, riding on his war horse at the head of a triumphant army of liberation. Jesus rides a humble donkey rather than a mighty stallion, symbolising that he will conquer through suffering and sacrifice rather than with military power. Jesus the Messiah comes as a servant king. He comes to die for us. He comes, according to Zechariah's prophecy, to proclaim peace to the nations. It's Jesus who invites us, come to me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Come to me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Here is a unique description of the Father's heart. Gentle and humble. That's how God loves you and me. With gentleness and with humility. But note this. The account of Jesus riding into town on a donkey must not be seen as a picture of a weak and ineffectual Messiah. Because the very next day, Jesus storms through the temple courts, overturning the tables of the money changers. He is angry. He's angry that the house of prayer has become a den of robbers. And so Jesus perfectly illustrates the character of his father. Justice and mercy. Holiness and judgment and forgiveness and grace. These are not mutually exclusive. Here is a God who embraces justice and mercy. A God who is holy and will one day judge us, but a God of forgiveness and a God of grace. This is our God. The gentleness and humility of Jesus is the very opposite of the legalism and the anger and the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. These religious leaders who found Jesus' message such a threat. Jesus' ways of love and mercy and gentleness and humility and forgiveness are at the heart of his kingdom. Making Jesus King of our lives means espousing these kingdom values. Jesus, your King, comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Will you welcome him into your life today? One last thought. If you compare the prophecy in Zechariah with the quotation in John's Gospel, you'll see there's a, a slight difference. Whereas Zechariah begins 
rejoice greatly and shout, John writes, do not be afraid. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. And those words, do not be afraid, must encourage us all. Assure us that Jesus, the King of Peace, comes into our lives. As he comes, fear departs. Whatever fears you live with now, however fearful you might be about making Jesus your Saviour and Lord and King, know the truth of these words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And as we know the risen Jesus standing among us, saying, Peace be with you, so we'll be able to rejoice greatly. And as Jesus said to those who complained about the joyful praise and the noisy shouts, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So I think this is a good opportunity to do a bit of shouting. And I think right on cue we have um, Omega joining us. Are you going to come on in? Don't hover, don't hover out the back. Because we're all going to stand and we're going to shout out. Do come and join us. Come and find a seat. Join in with everything that's going on. This isn't the quiet and dignified place that you thought it was. Okay. Did you know the word Hosanna literally means save us now? Okay, that's what it means. Save us now. So when the people were shouting out Hosanna, they were actually asking for Jesus to save them. So we're going to shout out these words. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna, save us now. Okay? And we can't possibly do it sitting down. So we've got to stand up. Okay? So. Yeah, there, there. Okay, no excuse. Okay, after three. One, two, three. Hosanna! 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 Save us now! Again! Hosanna! Okay, let's pray. We proclaim you, Lord Jesus, as Saviour and Lord and King. Hosanna, save us now. Yes, Lord. And if you've shouted out those words, and if you've meant them, you might like to make this your personal prayer. Jesus, you are the righteous one. I pray, clothe me in robes of righteousness. I thank you that as I put my faith in you, I enter into a new, true, right relationship with the Father. Father God, I thank you that this righteousness is freely available to me because of all that Jesus has achieved by his death on the cross. Thank you that by his death on the cross, Jesus forgives and cleanses 
and remakes my life. Jesus, you are righteousness. You are righteous. You are my righteousness. I thank you. Jesus, you are saviour. Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you are the evidence of God's love for me. You lived, you died, and you were raised back to life for my salvation. Holy Spirit, guide me into all truth. Transform my life from the inside out. I ask you, Jesus, to be my saviour this Easter time. Hosanna, save me now. Jesus, you are king the gentle king who rides on a donkey. Jesus, I ask you to be king of my life, Lord of my life. Thank you that your ways of love and mercy and gentleness and humility, your forgiveness, these are at the heart of your kingdom. And I make you my king today. I surrender every area of my life to you. Living Lord Jesus, I proclaim you my Saviour and Lord and King. Let's speak out those words, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, once more, together. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us now, save us now, Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that we celebrate your salvation today as we break bread together.